Welcome to this week's Rashi Shear, brought to you from the Bet Midrash of Mizrahi in Melbourne, Australia. Okay, good evening, and we resume after the summer break, and we are in Perak Lamad Aleph, and we're up to Pasuk Lamad Gimel. So we're right in the middle of the story, so a quick, quick recap. Yaakov has been working for Lavan for a total of 20 years. He has now run away. Um, unbeknown to Yaakov, Rachel took her father's Terafim. Rashi never quite explained what Terafim are, uh, but he said that she took the Terafim to keep her father from Avodah So obviously there's some sort of idols. And Lavan chases after Yaakov and says, why did you run away? And why have you taken my um, Terafim? And so then Yaakov says, well, look for them. Um, look wherever you want. And now we come to Pasuk Lamed Gimel, which says, Lavan Yaakov, Lavan came into the tent of Yaakov and the tent of Leah and into the tent of the two um, maidservants, uh, uh, Zilpah and Bilha. And he didn't find what he was looking for. He came out of the tent of Leah. And then he went into the tent of Rachel. And then we'll see what happened in the tent of Rachel on the next verse. How many questions are there on that verse? Any questions? Well, it didn't say at the start that he left, like I guess, Jacob's tent, then Leah's tent. And then again, at the end, he went out of Leia's tent and went into Rachel. Exactly. So can you formulate the question more precisely? Yeah. Um, well, it says he went into Yaakov's tent. He went into Leia's tent. doesn't say he came out of Leia's tent. He went into the tent of the Emma Then it says he came out of Leia's tent. So how's the order? And the other thing is, um, well, you know, we know the story. We know who's told him to him, and it's Rachel. Um, why does he leave her tent till last? if that's what happens. In fact, one can add more questions. Um, the Mizrahi says, surely he would have gone to Rachel's tent first, because, or at least straight after Yaakov's tent, because presumably Rachel's tent would have been closest to Yaakov's tent. Rachel, we know, was the number one wife. Leah was the number two wife. So presumably Rachel's tent would have been nearer to Yaakov than Leah's. But it doesn't sound like that from the order. He goes into Rachel, Yaakov's tent, then out of it, and the next one he goes into Leah's tent. Um, you can also ask, as the Sifta Chamim does, why does he go to Yaakov's tent in the first place? Now, the Sifta Chamim is sort of learning that Lavan would suspect, is looking for the Trafim, for the idols, in the tent of somebody who would have been worshipping with them, worshipping them. Um, in which case, why would he go to Yaakov's tent, of all people? Because Yaakov is the least likely to be worshipping of Zara. The Maharal says... Uh, if you read this passage, it sounds like he goes to Leah's tent before Rachel's tent. So apart from the geography, which was the first question I raised, that Rachel's tent would have been nearer to Yaakov's tent, in terms of precedence, Rachel should have come before Leah. So, actually, all these questions are answered with a brilliant chidush of Rashi, which leads to other questions. What do I mean? Let's have a look. On the words, Ba'ohel Yaakov, here it comes. Who, Ahel, Rachel, 
That is, and I'm going to have the word, also the tent of Rachel. So he did go to Rachel's tent. First of all, where it says, that is Rachel's tent. And that's how Rashi has answered the questions. Not that he left Rachel's tent till last. He went to Rachel's tent first of all. It was, when it says the tent of Yaakov, it was also the tent of Rachel. As Rashi continues, Shahaya Yaakov Tadir Eitzlah. Because Yaakov was permanently by her, in the yeshivish sense of the word by, uh, in her company or with her. So um, we, we don't really have much clue about the sleeping arrangements of the Imahot, and it might have been a bit complicated when you had four of them. Um, and they spent some time literally sleeping with Yaakov. Um, I hope it's not disrespectful to say that. Um, <clears throat> and according to Rashi, Rachel and Yaakov basically shared a tent. Why? Because Yaakov was Tadir Eitzla, was constantly with her. And it says, um, and I forget where, but I think it's by Yishlach, uh, when it lists the children of Yaakov, it goes through the children with their mothers, and it says, B'nai Rachel Eishet Yaakov. lo ne'emar Eishet Yaakov. And in that listing, which I think is in Vayishlak, it says Eishet Yaakov by Rachel, and it doesn't say Eishet Yaakov by Leah, let alone by Bilhah or Zilpah. So we see that Rachel was the one who was more than the number one wife. She was Ishtoka Gulfa. She shared his tent. And therefore, um, when it says he went into the tent of Yaakov, it meant he went into the tent of Yaakov and Rachel. And we've answered all the questions but we've generated another one. Because that means, what did he do at the end of the Pasuk? So he goes, how do, how do we, now do we understand it? He goes into the tent of Yaakov, which is also the tent of Rachel. Then he goes into the tent of Leh. Then he goes into the tent of the Shtei Amahot. Uh, Amahot, sorry. And then he goes out of the tent of Leah and into the tent of Rachel. So where do I, was he in Leah's tent twice? And more importantly, well, perhaps a more crucial question, is why, if Ahel Rachel is the same as Ahel Yaakov, why is he given two different names in the same passage? So this is a question on Rashi, based on the answer that he's come up with to the first bunch of questions. There are more questions that arise. Let's see if he answers them in his next comment, where it says, at the end, having come out of Leah's tent, he goes into Rachel's tent. Kashriyatsa mi Ahel Leah, chazar lo la Ahel Rachel, when he came out of Leah's tent, he returned into Rachel's tent. Before he went to search in the tent of the maidservants. And then he says, we'll come back to what, what, what this Rashi, because <coughs> there's a lot in it. The Kolkach Lama, why so much? He recognized in her, too many pronouns, it means love and recognized in Rachel, Shehi Mashmashamit. <coughs> that she had busy hands. Um, you can translate it in that in various ways. How does that spell translate it? She's a woman who touches everything. Touches everything. A rummager. A rummager. Yeah, okay, a rummager. Um, so she's the sort of person who might be taking it, which is why he goes into her tent once, and then he goes into her tent again for another check. Now, there's a few things to say. Um, Rashi obviously holds that the whole posik is out of order. Now, you've got two choices, basically. Either you say the whole posse is out of order, or he must go into Leah's tent twice, 
And the second time, it doesn't say he went in there. In other words, if you try to read the Pasuk without changing the order, he goes into the tent of Yaakov, which we now know is the tent of Yaakov and, Lava, uh, and Rachel. Then he goes into the tent of Leah. Then he goes into the tent of the maidservants. Then he comes out of the tent of Leah. So that means he goes back into Leah's tent without saying he went back in. And then he comes out of Leah's tent, uh, having gone there a second time. And then he goes back into Rachel's tent the second time. So it seems to me that if you read the Pasuk in order, then you have two problems. When does he go back into Leah's tent? And why does he go back into Leah's tent? If you read the Pasuk out of order, you only have one problem. Why is it written out of order? But at least we can tell a story that makes sense. So he went into Yaakov's tent, which is also Rachel's. He went into Leah's. It says Rashi, when he came out of Leah's, he went in back into Rachel's. And then he went into the tent of the maidservants. And that makes sense. It just says the pasuk out of order, but that, if you like, is only one problem compared to at least two if you read it in order. Just like looking at the, the way the truck works, is that it could also be the oil of Le'ah and oil that the, the tent of the maidservants and the tent of Le'ah was the same tent. So, so he would go into oil Yaakov and then would go into oil and oil Amahod, well, and then he would leave. I think the trop, the trop argues against that because there's a Ravi'i on Leah. But the Ibn is on... But what do you do with the Ravi'i on Leah followed by the Tavir in Ba'olha? So anything before the Esnachta can be read as one thing. Could be. I mean... I started by saying there's a lot of problems with this puzzle. We're going to have to squeeze and, and sort of uh, cut and chop to fit it in. So your way is probably no worse than any other way of cutting and chopping to fit it in. But it's just not Rashi. Okay, it's not what Rashi says. Um, but there's one more thing that I, I, I said earlier, which Rashi hasn't explicitly related to, but maybe he has implicitly. And that's the problem that he's created by saying, Oha Yaakov equals Oha Rachel. Why then is it called Aharachel at the end of the Pasuk? Um, so I saw a very nice answer that he goes in the first time with his focus on what looking for Yaakov's stuff. And he goes in the second time with his focus on Rachel's stuff. He's not checking Yaakov a second time. He is checking Rachel a second time. So when he goes in the second time, as far as he's concerned, he's going into Aharachel because that's what he's looking for. So this Rashi, as I say, I think, deals nicely with the problems in the Pasuk. It doesn't answer everyone because it can't, because it's one of those logic problems which has no solution, but his answer answers many of them. Okay, the next verse says, Rachel lokcha et ha-terafim. Rachel took the terafim, and it must mean had taken the terafim, because we know she took them earlier, so it's too perfect, which by the way fits with Rashi's um, famous um, statement on Bereshit Perik Pasuk Aleph, that if you have subject followed by verb, which is not the normal order in classical Hebrew, it would be pluperfect. I, I'm never quite sure, uh, your father's discussed with this with me many times, I'm never quite sure if that applies in every case, but it certainly applies in a few cases where Rashi points it out, and it applies well here. So here we have Rachel, the name followed by the verb, which is not the usual order in classical Hebrew, and it must be uh, pre-perfect because we know that the taking of the trophim had been done previously. 
So she had taken the drop him. What did she do with them now? But to simaim the kar hagamal, and she put them in the now. There's a long, well, relatively long Rashi just on the word kar. So at the risk of being a spoiler, um, it means cushion or saddle. She put it in the. She put them in the cushion. Oh, sorry, in the in the saddle hagamal of the camel, the teshev alehem. And she sat on them. And Laban rummaged around all the tent and did not find. And by the way, I'll tell you now, this sets up for the next Pasuk and the next Tupasuk, in which is Yaakov then sort of loses it, gets very angry that he's been accused of taking something which, as far as he can see, hasn't been taken because Laban didn't find it. Um, I must have to say that there's, I've always had an image about how this particular verse works, which my wife, when, we, when I discussed it in the Shabbat Shia, said, no, 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 that's not how it works. And I'm still not sure. I've always imagined that Rachel puts them in the saddle of the camel while the saddle is on the camel and sits on the saddle on the camel. So she's sitting on a camel. But, um, and I think in the little Midrash says, or that book, which I'm not a big fan of, I think there's a picture of her sitting on a camel. Um, but there's actually no need for her to be sitting on the camel. She could just be sitting on the saddle. The saddle could be off the camel and she's sitting on the saddle, which makes much more sense because there's no reason why she's sitting anywhere near a camel. So it could be, and I think it probably does mean she's sitting on the saddle <coughs> and there's no camel inside. Now, I've said many times it means saddle, but imagine you don't know that. And now let's read the Rashi. The Kar Hagamal, Loshan Karim Chasatot. Uh, and there are different translations for these pair, this pair of words, pillows and bolsters, or cushions and pillows, something to do with where you rest your head. So that's what car basically means, but that's not quite what it means in this case. Then he says, So the Targum Onkelos translates as So now we have to know what an avita is. And says Rashi, he mardaat, it's a saddle, ha'asuya kamin kar, which is made like a pillow. In other words, it's a cushion saddle. Um, uh, it's often translated in some I saw as um, pack saddle. Not quite sure what a pack saddle is, but it's like a saddle with with things that you you've got a place to put things in it, and it's cushioned. And then he brings an example from the Gemara of the use of this Aramaic word. And it's it, it, in a particular context. It, uh, it comes from Gemara in Rubin, which talks about um, the various leniencies that the rabbis made for how you can make an Aruv arrangement when you're on the move, when you're traveling. And it talks about a bunch of travelers who make an Aruv with, they surround themselves with Avitin. So I'll just read the words. Ubei Rubin, in Masechet Rubin, Shanina, we've learned, Hakifuha the avitin they surrounded themselves with avitin so what does it mean they surround themselves with avitin and they are saddles of camels so it's that word avitin is used in masechet erubin and it refers to saddles that's the same word that Unculus uses here to say uh, he translates car as avita so we know that what's meant in the pasuk is a saddle. And I think the point, by the way, is car usually means like a cushion. But here it's not quite a cushion. It's a saddle or a cushioned saddle. 
So by going, starting by saying, so it's an expression of pillows, cush, pillows, bolsters, cushions, what have you. But then by narrowing down or a, a zeroing in to the word used by the Targum and comparing that to the same word used by the Gemara where it clearly means saddles. So here it means saddles. And then just in case you're not sure, he brings the French word, bastel, which means saddle. So we've that Rashi, as far as I can see, is there to tell you what car means, especially because it's not what it usually means. So she's sitting on the saddle, and we know that inside the saddle is the trafim that she's taken and is hiding from Lavan. So Posit Lamad, hey, the Toma Elaviha, she said to her father, Al Yichar Ene Adoni, do not get cross, my master, let it be not be bad in your eyes, my master. Because I'm not able to get up from before you. I have to say sitting. Because the way of women is on me. And it's that I'm not able to get up comfortably. And he searched. And he couldn't search in the saddle of the camel because she's on top of it. Um, it's quite an exciting part of the story. And so he's looking and she's hiding them and we know where she's hiding them and we know she's being a little bit devious and he doesn't find them. And there's no rush on that, so we'll go straight on to Yaakov. And as I said, now Yaakov got angry. And he argued with Lavan. Um, and by the way, it, it's a great sort of literary moment because you can see 20 years of frustration suddenly boils over at this point. He's acquiesced in everything that Lavan's done to him from the very beginning. As soon as he arrived, Lavan like, exploited him, got him to work for a month without salary, as, as Rashi explained. Then, of course, there was the big, big trick with the wives, which made he had to stay for another seven years. And then there was, um, maybe it wasn't a trick, maybe it was Yaakov's trick, but there was another six years of working. And now it all, his anger floods out. And Yaakov answered, and he said to Lavan, What is my sin? And what is my, another word for sin? We usually say that Pesha is a deliberate sin and Chatat is an accidental sin. That you have, what does Dalakta mean? We don't know. We need Rashi to tell us what Dalakta means. And Rashi says, Radafta, you chased after me. Dalakta means chasing. And Rashi brings two psugim from elsewhere in Tanakh to show that Radafta means chasing. And the first comes from Eicha, Herabdala Posit Yutet, Kumo Al Al Heharim Dalakunu. On the mountains, they chased us. Now, Eichon, of course, is the, the lamentation uh, over the Chorban. And amongst the, the terrible things that Yirmiyahu describes is the fact that we were chased by our enemies. Uchamal, and another example from Shmuel Aleph, Yudzayin Nungimu, Madlok, Trey Midlok, Acharei Pelishtim, chasing after the Pelishtim. That was David um, before he was king. He was doing some fighting against the Pelishtim and he was chasing after them. Now, um, I want to address two things that are often asked. Well, one I'm not going to address per se. Um, I think perhaps I've created expectations that if Rashi brings two examples, we have to ask why two examples. I'm not sure we actually do, to be honest, especially because in the next few bazooka, we're going to see quite a few cases where he brings more than one example. And the commentators don't seem that bothered by it. 
But there is perhaps a question why he brings Eicha before Shmuel Aleph. What's the question? So Eicha comes from Ketuvim, Shmuel Aleph comes from Nevi. And I don't know if it's a general rule, but if it were, it would make sense that Navi comes first, uh, and it's closer in many ways to Chumash than is Ketuvim. So uh, again, I haven't checked if there's any consistent rule, but the question is asked, why does Rashi in this case quote the Pasuk from Ketuvim before he quotes the Pasuk from Navi? And on this occasion, I can attempt to answer a question which is often asked, and I normally avoid. If Dalakta means Radafta, why didn't the Torah use the word Radafta? Obviously, the very fact that he compares Dalakta and he, the reference point is Radafta, obviously Radafta is more well-known. So if, if, the, if the whole point of Rashi is to say Dalakta is the same as Radafta, why didn't he say Radafta? So often, in this very sheer, I've said, well, you know, if you're going to ask that, you can ask it every time, so let's not ask it at all. But on this occasion, you can ask it, because I've got an answer. Um, oh, and a third question, which really relates to the other two as well, is, um, again, I'm not sure if there's a general rule that Rashi would look at the Targum before he'd look at the Tanakh, perhaps not. But if he did look at the Targum in this case, he would see the Targum says, Ridifta. So the Targum is very explicit, but Dalakta is the same as Rodev, meaning chasing. So you might ask, why does Rashi need to go to these Pesukim? So the Pasukim Eicha describes the Jews being chased by their enemies. Notice it wasn't just like chasing after, I don't know, football. Um, that's a silly example, but you can chase after sort of neutral things. But this was a chasing of a bitter enemy, chasing against the Jews. Number one, if you look there in the Pasuk, Yemiyahu is talking about all these amazing and wondrous and terrifying things that have happened to the Jewish people. Not in a natural way. And this Pasuk, Al-Heharim Dalakuna, Dalakunnu, you chased us over the mountains, is also Shalob And there's one more thing that's relevant, that why were the Jews being chased in Eicha? Why did the Jews suffer the Chorban and all its horrors? Because we understand there's Chava Onesh, there's reward and punishment, because it was their fault. They sinned and they committed various transgressions, which led to the enemies chasing after them. Now, all those aspects are replicated here in the words of Yaakov. Yaakov says, Ma pishi ki What's my sin that you did a dalakta? Now, you don't necessarily do a radafta after somebody, uh, you can do a radafta after somebody who may have sinned or may not have sinned. But dalakta, um, as we can see from the Pasuk and Eicha, which is the first one that Rashi quotes, implies there's some serious transgression going on, which led to the enemies chasing after. So Yaakov says, what's my sin that you, Dalakta Acharai? Because Dalakta implies I, there's some sin that you are taking vengeance on. It's also the case that you're my enemy, just like in the Pasuk It's also the case that you've come remarkably fast. Rashi talked about how Yaakov took six days to cover what um, Lavan did in one day. So we can actually match up a number of parallels between the Pasuk and Eicha and the Pasuk here, which would explain, A, why Rashi goes straight for the Pasuk and Eicha, B, why, um, it, it, why the Torah uses the word Dalakta and doesn't use the word Radafta, even though that's exactly what it means. Okay, next Pasuk 
is Lamadaim. So continuing the words of Yaakov. Kimashashta et kol kelai, you have rummaged through all my objects. Mamatsata, what have you found? Mikol kelei vetecha, from all the household goods. Sim ko neget achai ba'achecha. Place them here, or thus, in front of my brothers and your brothers. Now, Yaakov doesn't have any brothers. Well, he does have one, but he's certainly not here. But as we see elsewhere, that brothers is used in the sense of supporters or relatives. So whatever you found, i.e. nothing, put now in front of the people around us, your supporters, my supporters, and Rashi tells us what means. He says, Rashi says, and they will clarify with whom is the judgment. In other words, who's right. And then Rashi says, in French, it's which means to prove. Incidentally, the same word comes up in Perakaf Dalad Pasuk, when um, Eliezer, or Rashi identifies him as Eliezer, said um, to Hashem that if a suitable candidate for the wife of Yitzchak comes and offers to feed my camels and to give my camels water to drink, then that will prove, using Rashi's translation, that she's the one. Now, why does Rashi need to say this? Now, you could always say that we don't know what the word means, but in this case, we might think it means something else. What else can Vayochichu mean? Proof. Yeah. That is what it means. But, uh, nice guess. But um, really, well, the answer I was looking for was as in Tochacha, to reprove. Yeah. So you said prove. Um, that's what it does mean. And it doesn't mean reprove as in reproach. Uh, it could mean. I mean, the, 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 the root is basically the same. Um, but um, it doesn't make sense to mean repro reproach. And in particular, if it had said then they will reproach the two of us. I mean, you'd have to imagine what, what they were reproaching for. I know, but fighting or something. Um, but the only way it makes sense is not to mean reproach, but rather to mean prove, to clarify, to show who's right. So because, I, I would suggest, because it could have meant something else, Rashi goes out of his way to tell us what it does mean. Then continues Lavan, sorry, continues Yaakov in Lamad Chet. Shana, for these 20 years, Anochi Imach, I've been with you. Rachelecha, your ewes, your female sheep, the Izecha, and your female goats, Lo Shikelu. We'll leave Rashi to translate that. The Eilet Sonacha and the rams of your flock, lo achalti, I did not eat. So let's go straight into understand what is lo shikelu. Lo shikelu means, says Rashi, lo hipilu iburam. They did not miscarry their fetuses, their pregnancies. So I looked after, says Yaakov, the female sheep and the female goats, uh, and obviously from a uh, farming point of view, the most useful thing that these female animals can do is produce young. The worst thing, that, or maybe the second worst thing that can happen, is they miscarry. And I did such a good job that they didn't miscarry. 
And that, by the way, is to the credit of the farmer, sorry, of the shepherd, because I don't know very much about shepherding, um, but um, um, I told that if the shepherd is kind and gentle to the pregnant animals and doesn't push them too hard and doesn't push them too fast, that's the way to look after them during their pregnancy. If they, the shepherd is not careful, if he does push them too hard or too fast, that's when they can miscarry. Um, so Rashi says, lo um, shikelu means they did not miscarry, says lo hipilu ibaram, and then he brings a couple, again, a couple of examples to show that that's what the word maskil means. Kamo rechem maskil, in Hoshea, peritet pasukidalut, um, Hoshea is castigating the Jewish people and saying to Hashem, give them all bad stuff because that's what they deserve and give them a rechem maskil. Rechem is a womb, uterus, and a, we, he suggests that they are worthy of a rechem maskil, in other words, a uterus which miscarries. Uh, and another pasuk from Eov, uh, notice it's the nach before the ketuvim, tefalet parato below tesakel. The cow will eject, but as in give birth, and not to Sakel, what does it mean if it doesn't give birth? It will give birth and it will not miscarry. So Rashi brings two proofs to show that muscular means miscarry. And that's his basis on which he translates Loshikelo as they did not miscarry. Now, what else could it mean? It could mean something else. If you look in Perak Kafzayan, Pasuk Memhe, um, which I will, if I had a Chumash here. Oh, that's one you to read out. Perak Kaf Zion, Pasuk Mem Hey. Rivka is uh, a bit down in the dumps after the um, dysfunctional family that has uh, emerged from Yaakov taking the blessings from Yitzchak instead of um, Esau. And what does Rivka say at that point? Um, yeah, I think so. Okay, so she says, you go away, Yaakov, run away until your brother has calmed down. And when he has, I'll call you and I'll get you back, which took 20 years. Um, and he says, because if not, Lama, what was the exact word? Eshkal. Why will I be well, what, she's uh, from the two of you in the same day. Does she mean Yitzchak and, and Yaakov? Does she mean Yaakov and Esau? That's not our question now. But she doesn't mean they're going to miscarry. What does she mean? Mourn. What? Mourn. Yeah, why is she going to mourn? Because they're going to die. So the word shikel can also mean to die. And this is Rashi's problem. So Rashi wants to, it doesn't make sense to say your female sheep and your female goats didn't die. Now, why doesn't it make sense? Well, because probably some of them did. But if they did, that's not the shepherd's fault. And this is the point. If an animal dies from natural causes, that's not, that's not something the shepherd can avoid. If an animal miscarries, that's something the shepherd can try to avoid by his caring for the pregnant animals. So maybe that's what Rashi wants us to stress, that it means lohipilu iboram. It doesn't mean they didn't die. It means he didn't miscarry. And that's why Rashi brings two psukim to show that muskil can mean miscarry. Then we go on. Rashi says, The 
rams of your flock I did not eat. Now, here Rashi brings a Gemara. We have to understand the point of the Gemara, and then we have to understand why he brings it. Mikan Omru, from here they learned, or here they said, Chazal said, Ayel ben Yomo Kurui Ayel. A ram, what is a ram? A ram is a male sheep. One day old is already called a ram. Now, was the point is what, what type of animal, what type of age of animal? does the word ayel refer to? Now, you might think it refers to an older animal, animals already over a certain age. And we'll discuss in a moment why you might think that. But says Rashi, you would be foolish to think that. In fact, you can see from this very possible that an ayel is an ayel from the moment it is born. She'im lokein, because if it were not so, if an ayel only meant an animal of a certain maturity, what is Yaakov's praise? He's praising himself effectively, saying, look, I didn't eat any of your Elim. Elim, so that would mean, if Elim only referred to older lines, I didn't eat rams, which are more mature sheep, but I did eat kvasim, which are younger sheep. I mean, that's crazy. If so, he would be a thief. So the logic is this. He's praising himself. He's saying, look, I'm a totally honest man. And I didn't eat any of your ayalim, your ayalim, sorry. If an ayal was a limited subclass of sheep, then then Yaakov would be saying, I didn't eat your ayalim, but that implies by silence, I did eat your kavasim, your junior sheep. That doesn't make sense. There's no way Yaakov could be saying that. So it must be that when he says, I didn't eat an ayel, an ayel could be one day old. It's any sheep, any male sheep is called an ayel. You can ask why I didn't, does he say he ate the female sheep? Don't know. Is it more like, like I didn't even eat an ayel? Like, no, I didn't, like, didn't eat anything, like including, I like, didn't even eat an ayel. But why is an ayel oh. even? Uh, like if it's not, like, obviously it's, it's it's, we're talking about an ayah, like it's being stated. So then like, as opposed to it being an ayah and not, but I did eat others. So like, I didn't eat anything, including the ayah. Maybe I, I, I hear, um, I'm tempted to say, if you meant even, it should say af ayah, and it doesn't. That's probably not a very convincing proof because there are times when, when it doesn't, when it implies even. Um, again, I'm going to fall back on, that's not how Rashi reads it. Rashi reads uh, the, the most logical way of reading it, I think, especially given the context that Yaakov is trying to defend himself. Um, and if he's trying to defend himself, he wouldn't leave room for doubt. And he wouldn't leave room for Lavan to say, ah, you didn't need the eye, but you ate the person. Okay, so that's what Rashi tells us. Now, one question is, um, why does Rashi have to tell us this at all? I mean, really, it's a Gomorrah thing. Um, uh, is it necessary, uh, maybe it's my question, maybe it's not such a good question, but is it necessary for Rashi to give us this little discourse? And my other question is, is there any reason you would have thought otherwise? Is there any reason you would have thought that an ayel is, doesn't refer to all types of sheep? And the answer is a, a, a loud yes. Because in, for instance, the Korban Musaf, what animals are offered? There's always, in the Korban Musaf, there's a trio of what type of animals? Yeah. What? 
kvasim, sheep, and parim, cows, and alim. It's always those three. Um, and they each get a different nisuch, uh, a different uh, libation, and a different amount of wine to go with them. Um, parim get this much, and alim get this much, and kvasim get this much. They're clearly different species. Now, they're not really different species. Sorry, that's not the right word. They're both sheep. Cows are cows. But Elim and Kavasim are both sheep. But what's the difference? The difference is a Keves is in its first year and an Ayil is in its second year. How do I know that? Well, for instance, in Vayikra Perakei Pasuket Vav, um, it says for certain Korbanot, you have to bring an Ayil. And Rashi there says, Loshon Kasha, an Ayil expresses strength. He brings a posse from Shanim. Here also an ayel is a sheep, which is, it says two years old. That's not how we understand two years old. It means in its second year. So we would call it one year old. Um, that's how you count the age of animals. Um, a keves, which it's called ben shanoto, doesn't mean one year old. It means zero years old. Anyway, so we know from... Um, I, I think many places in Bomesh, every time it talks about a korban, it talks about an ayel as something different from a keves. And that seems to be the norm. Uh, so it seems to me uh, that Rashi is bothered by that. So Rashi says, if you learn Chumash, you might think that an ayel is not the same as a keves. And then you might question, what is Yaakov's defense? What is Yaakov praising himself by saying, I didn't eat an ayel? So Rashi has to say, in the sense that Yaakov is using it, an ayol could be one day old. So it turns out that there's two different definitions. There's the definition for korbanot, where an ayol is a sheep in its second year. And there's the definition for with the way Yaakov is using it, maybe the way you buy and sell alim is being used. Um, and the way Yaakov is using it is different from the way in Vayikra and in Bamidba we're told about the different categories of animals for um, sacrifices. By the way, we can also add a quite a beautiful idea that maybe Rashi uses, sorry, Yaakov uses the word ayel, which, by the way, I was wondering, when you said, I didn't even eat an ayel, I was trying to work out, based on your presumption, which is more special to eat. Uh, I'm not sure, you have to think about that. But an ayol is certainly, is probably worth more um, because it can do more, it's got more meat on it. Um, again, I don't know much about farming. I suppose you want to eat lamb, because that's got a certain- tail, like, People like eating, I, I don't know, in Israel, it's it's, they prefer eating um, meat that's- Young, younger. yes. It depends for what? It depends for what? Like if you want it for like to breed more sheep or if you want it for meat. Yeah. That's also true. If you want it to breed, you need an older one. So the drush I'm about to give is predicated on the fact that an ayol is more special than a keves. Okay. <laughs> um, so you could say that Yaakov is saying that his type of shepherding was to treat every single sheep as if it's an ayol. And that's why he uses the word ayol. And Rashi says he uses the word ayol, even referring to the youngest of sheep. He gives it the same care and attention because that's the integrity that he has. And he calls it an ayol even if he's in fact a young sheep. Uh, okay. Pasuk Lametet. Trefa lo hevetei elecha. 
Now, trefers, by the way, we probably all know this, we use in the sense of non-kosher. That's not what it means. It means torn. And it's a particular type of non-kosher animal, an animal that was died through unnatural causes. And the classic way that animals die from unnatural causes, they lose a fight with another animal. And trefer means torn. Uh, and I'll go straight into Rashi. Rashi says, trefer alyidei ari uzeev. Now, other versions um, say ari and dov, or dov for ari. So it's some sort of wild animal. Ari zev um, is a lion and a wolf. Uh, if it's a dove, that's a bear. Um, those sort of animals, that if you get them near your sheep, um, the sheep are in a bad way. But, says Yaakov, all my 20 years of shepherding, trefa lo heveti alecha, anochi achatena miyadi. I won't translate that yet. Sorry, miyadi tevakshena. That's what it means. Anochi achatena, and then miyadi tevakshena. From my hand, you can request it. Genuvti yom, uganuvti laila. I'll leave that also for Rashi. Um, now, what's the point about a trefer? Now, speaking halachically, which might be a little bit um, anachronistically, because the Torah hadn't been given and, and, and Baba, um, uh, Baba, let's see um, no, um, Baba Kama hadn't been learned yet, but there are certain things that a shepherd is not liable for. And if a lion comes out of the forest and takes a um, lamb or two, that is something that the shepherd can't be responsible for. And he's not responsible for it. He's not hired to um, repay the lost sheep if it's taken by a lion or a wolf. Nevertheless, Yaakov says, I'm the sort of guy who did take responsibility for it. Um, it was the norm. If a sheep is mauled by a lion, then the shepherd would bring what's left of the sheep to the owner and say, look, this is all that's left. But I never did that. Now, then he says, Anochi achatena. What does that mean? What does achatena look like? Looks like hate. What does hate mean? Sin. So I was the sinner. And by the way, that's how the Ibn Ezra reads it. That's how the Sforno reads it. That's not how Rashi reads it. And Rashi doesn't like the idea that Yaakov will be saying, I'm the sinner. He doesn't think he's saying, I'm the sinner. And therefore, he understands it in a quite different way. And Rashi says, Anochi achatena. Loshon, it's the expression used in the Pasuk in Shoftim. Kalea ba'even. Um, the army of, I forget who it is. No, it's the army of the Jews against the uh, Shevet Binyamin. It's the end of Sefer uh, Shoftim. Uh, and it's the war, the civil war against Binyamin. And there were 600, interestingly enough, the Pasuk calls them left-handers, which I felt quite uh, empowered by, because I'm one of them, who were kolea be'even, slinging with stones, El Hasa'ara, they were so good at their aim, they could sling their stones at a hair's breadth below Yachati. Now, by the way, this passage is often quoted, um, maybe at Yom Kippur time, to see what is the essence of a chit. Because here the word below Yachati means they sling their stones to a hair and they do not miss. They do not miss. So that passage, uh, it's not really conclusive because we use the word chatat in hundreds of other places to mean sin or sin offering or sin. But here, it's the same root, and it clearly doesn't mean sin. It means miss. 
And, and you can build a drosha on a very beautiful idea that that's what a sin is. When we sin, it's because we're aiming for something, but we miss. We go off in a little bit in the wrong direction. We don't go in the right direction. That's what a hate is. But so, although it's related conceptually to a sin, Rashi is clearly saying it doesn't mean sin here. It means miss, as in now Rashi expands it to missing. Anochi um, achatena. I um, suffered the loss is what he means. So I missed a sheep. So I had a hundred sheep. You had a hundred sheep. Um, one of yours got eaten by a wolf. I give you mine. So I'm now down to 99. My sheep are missing. That's what achatena means. Anochi achatena. I'm the one who's missing. In fact, sorry, I'm, I'm preempting Russian. The next thing he does is bring another person. Um, in the same vein, Ani Uveni Shlomo Chataim. This is, um, it's from the Haftorah of the era, I think. Um, and it's the story of Bathsheba pleading with David on his deathbed to um, formally anoint Shlomo as his successor. Because if he doesn't, then there's a real fear that other sons will take the crown. And Bathsheba says, if that happens, I and my son Shlomo, Chata'im. Now you can read that as, I and my son Shlomo will be sinners. Why will we be sinners? Because we will be obviously not supporters of the new regime. The new regime will consider us the enemy and they'll consider us sinful. But that's not how Rashi reads it here. Rashi reads it and the same idea, we will be missing because we'll have to run away. We won't be in our normal places. I and my son, Shlomo, will be missing because we'll run away. So to conclude, having brought these two pasukim where yachati and chataim mean missing, Rashi says it means chaseirim, lacking, missing. Anochi ach, I've got here achserena with a summer. I'm just asking a mistake. You have? Oh, no, it is, it's right. I will be chaser. So he's not translating the word, he's replacing the word. Achatena means achserena. I will be chaser. I will be missing. Im chasra, if the sheep is missing, chasra li. It'll be missing to me because shemiyadi tavakshena. From my hand, you will request it. So it doesn't mean that I will be sinning. And Rashi goes, works really hard to say, that it doesn't mean that. He brings two pasukim to show it means missing. And then he explains how it will be missing in this context of this pasuk. I will be the one lacking in the sheep. I'll never make you, Lavan, lacking in sheep. I'm the one, over the last 20 years, I've provided the sheep whenever one of yours has been eaten by a lion. Even though I'm not chayev to, I'm not responsible to, that's the sort of shepherd that I've been. That's the integrity that I've had. Then Rashi brings another comment but I will talk about the validity of this comment itself in, in a moment. Says Rashi, Anochi achatena, another comment on the same words, Targumo, he brings the Targum. And the Targum says uh, about uh, sheep, I suppose, Dahavat shagya miminyana, that were missing from the counting. Meaning, shahaita nifkedet umuchserenet, but it was counted and missing. Kamo, and he brings an example, below nifkad mimenu ish, the soldiers 
whom Moshe sent to fight Midian, came back and they said, we did really well, and we've just checked, and none of us is missing. Lo nafkid mimenu ish. So nafkid doesn't just mean numbering or appointing, it means missing. And there, when it means missing, targumo, the targum there in Bamid Balamad Alev is lo shaga. So let's go backwards. We see that lo shaga is a translation of lo nifkad. So shaga means missing. And in this case, the targum translates it as the hava shagya miminyana. So we can see that the targum is saying it's missing from the counting. Now, it's interesting that Rashi brings the targum. Uh, and it's odd that actually Rashi brings this targum because it's similar and yet not similar to Rashi's own translation. It's similar in the sense that it's something to do with counting and missing, but it's not similar in the sense that Rashi said, I'm the one, I, Yaakov, am the one who ends up missing a sheep. And that's not the targum's translation at all. The targum says, is when the sheep are missing from their counting, when you've counted all the sheep and there's one missing, um, I didn't bring it to you. So the connection is Targum sees it as something to do with missing in number, but not applying to Yaakov in the way that Rashi does, which is why perhaps this second comment of Rashi on the words Anochi Achatena is not a comment of Rashi at all. Um, in the Azra, you'll find it in brackets. Um, in the classic early manuscripts of Rashi, it's not there at all. It's not there in any of the early manuscripts, the, the three main ones that we go back to. Uh, it seems to have been added at a later date. And that, I think, is borne out by the fact it doesn't fit, as I was trying to explain, with the previous, i.e. the main comment of Rashi. Okay. Um, then Rashi says on the words, Ganufti um, yom, now, what does that mean? What's it doing in the Pasuk? Something to do with ganav, meaning stealing. Stealing by day, stealing by night. I was stealing by day. What, what's the grammar? What's the meaning? So Rashi says, first of all, Gnuvti yom, Gnuvti laila. Gnuvat yom, o Gnuvat laila. Hakol shilamti. So Rashi translates Gnuvati as Gnuvat. So he drops the yud. The next comment of Rashi discusses that. So we'll come back to that, but just accept that the Yud's dropped. But he's also explained the Vav. Gnuvti Yom u Gnuvti Laila. What does Vav usually mean? And. What does Vav sometimes mean? Ah, where do we start? It can mean lots of things. And what does it mean here? Says Rashi, oh, or. Clearly. And he very clearly replaces Gnuvti Yom u Gnuvti Laila by Gnuvat Yom u Gnuvat Laila. So he's telling you it doesn't mean things that were stolen by day and by night. It means things that were stolen by day or things that were stolen by night. Hakol shilamti, everything I paid. Now, what is Rashi doing there? Um, you might read it as Trefalo Haveti Elecha, Anochi Achatana, Miadi Tavakshena, Gunufti Yom, Gunufti Laila. From my hand, you can request what's stolen by day and what's stolen by night. Now, by the way, the meaning, the, the essential message wouldn't be different. You can get it from me, um, I'll take responsibility. But that's not what the Pasuk says. First of all, where's the Esnachta? 
On Tavakshana. So the Tavakshana doesn't go, Ganufti Yom, Ganufti Laila does not go with Tavakshana, it's separated from it. Number two, Tavakshana means you can request it. If it referred to it, requesting it refers to the trefa, the beginning of the past, doesn't refer to the plural Ganufti Yom, Ganufti Laila, uh, or the generic Ganufti Yom, Ganufti Laila, that would be Tavakesh, you can request. So you can request it means the Tavakshana refers to something, one thing in particular, and it refers back to the trefa at the beginning of the Pasuk. In which case, Gnufti Yom, Gnufti Laila is like a separate clause without a verb. So Rashi has to add the verb. Rashi has to say, Hakoshalamti. So it just in general, Gnufti Yom, Gnufti Laila is like a separate clause, and it means I've paid it all. Anything that was stolen, I've paid. Now, I promised that Rashi would deal with the Yud. So instead of the word Gnufti, He's translated, he's placed it as the word gnuvat, stolen. But gnuvti means stolen by me or stolen from me or something like that. Says Rashi, the next comment, gnuvti, kamo, raboti bagoyim, sarati bamedinot. What does raboti bagoyim, sarati bamedinot mean? Mighty amongst the nations, um, lording amongst the countries. A passage from Eicha describing what used to be the situation before the Chorban, and what letter have I not translated as Rashi not wrong and my the Yud. Um, if you look at the passage, clearly Rabati doesn't mean my greatness. It's nothing to do with my. The Yud just doesn't need to be there. Rashi is of the opinion that this is a absolutely spare Yud, which is there for no meaning no purposeful meaning. I can't say it's not there for any reason. Of course it is there, but it doesn't add to the meaning. Another example, Malayati Mishpat, full of judgment, but the Yud is there, again, with no meaning. Ahovti Lidosh, loving to thresh. Not quite sure the context of why Hosher is talking about someone who loves to thresh, but again, the Yud serves no purpose. Incidentally, Azkara makes this point, um, there's another place in Komesh where Rashi at length shows that a Yud has no purpose on the Shira. Uh, the word Azi, he says the Yud does not mean my strength. He has a whole long piece there about what it does mean, but it doesn't mean my strength. Interestingly there, he brings examples of a Yud which serves no purpose, but they're different examples to this one because it's actually a different question. There by the Shira, you might think that Ozi means my strength, the Yud as a possessive, as in belonging to me. Here, and, and Rashi's uh, objective over there is to show it doesn't mean my strength. It can mean strength, not my strength. So he's trying to show it, it doesn't mean a possessive, it doesn't mean my. Here, he's not trying to show that. Here, he's trying to show it doesn't mean anything at all. It doesn't mean anything at all. So he brings examples where it's clearly, I can't say it serves no purpose because obviously it does, but in terms of the meaning, it's totally superfluous. So the examples he gives, um, four of them, um, counting the first possible is two, because there's two examples. Um, in each case, it's not about um, not meaning my, it's about not meaning anything at all, like he's trying to explain for the word, Gnubti Yong or Gnubti Laila. And I think we will stop there. And Amit Hashem, we will meet again next week. Thank you so much.